Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, it's me, your psycho killer, bent on hell vengeance, real jacked, former photojournalist. You know the type, the photojournalist who's just constantly lifting weights in an empty bedroom with photo clippings of his enemies. Uh, I'm never going to be redeemed. I'm definitely never going to be redeemed as a character. There's no way they're going to find depth and heart in my story. I'm your bruiser Eddie Brock, Jake. And with me. (laughs) Hi, I'm the symbiote. I'm Donnie Cates. I'm here. I, this is what it sounds like in my head. When I write the character, and he's like, hey, Eddie, let's get on out of here, fella. You're going to be all right. You're going to be just fine. It's Morty. It's just Morty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brock and Morty. Yeah, exactly. Brock and Goopy. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you for having me, man. I'm so um, I'm so honored and pumped uh, to talk about Venom. Uh, I... I, I like that guy a lot. Uh, I, so this is one of those weird things where I feel like if you look at the title of the episode and you see with Donny Cates, you're either going to be like, oh, my God, they got Donny Cates to talk about Venom. Or they're going to be like, who's Donny Cates? Because it's <laughs> such a uh, it's it's one or the other. It's, yeah. it's not going to be like, huh, OK. <laughs> it's so rare that we get to talk about a character and talk about a property with someone who has fundamentally shaped the future of that character um, for d- explaining to the babies in the audience. Uh, Donnie Cates is a uh, writer with Marvel comics, uh, a member of the Illuminati, the secretive <laughs> uh, behind the scenes cabal of people that shape the future of our favorite uh, superhero characters. And he had uh, recently come off. What I'm going to say is the most legendary venom run uh, in the entire uh, short of I don't know, short of the weirdos in the late 80s that we're going to also talk about. <laughs> it's th- three straight years yeah. of taking this character and kind of forging him through uh, redemptions, through crossovers, through massive event books, and taking uh, the character of Venom to, I think, a place that nobody beforehand thought he could go. It's amazing to have you here. Oh, well, thank you so much, man. Uh, you know, it's, um, <clears throat> I I suppose we're we're just going to dive right into into the gush, right? Yeah. And talk, <laughs> because, man. He's a fan. He knows what I, the gush is. This is of insane. Of course I do. Of course I do. I love the show. I listen, I listen to every episode. <laughs> I, I've. I have uh, you have recently gotten me uh, 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 to start reading uh, uh, Berserk, 
Um, oh my God. Because I started listening to the episode and like, I've had so many friends over the years trying to get me into, into manga and stuff. And I was like, well, that's the one that they always tell me to read. And then I started to listen to you guys and I got about 10 minutes into the, into the episode and I was like, I don't know what anyone is talking about on this episode, <laughs> but yeah. it sounds really awesome and I need to know what all this is about. <laughs> oh no, you're, mi- oh my God, are we, t- I'm, we're going to end up, Jesus, I just realized we're going to be talking about another edgy character with a living black costume. <laughs> That's right. Hell yeah, we are. Oh no. Yeah. It's like poetry. It rhymes. It rhymes. <laughs> Um, yeah, man. So, I mean, Venom for me, um, yeah, like you said, I just, I just got off of, uh, this crazy run, um, that I did with, um, you know, Ryan Stegman and Abon Coelho and, um, uh, uh, so many brilliant artists and stuff. Um, I, I want, I'm, someone could probably check me on this, but I believe this is true. Um, that if you combine Absolute Carnage, the first event that we did, and you had combine the King in Black, which is our second big event. Incredible. Um, and then all all the other stuff that we did. Um, weirdly enough, this kid who got into comics by reading Venom as a little kid has now... I, I, I have written more Venom comics than anyone else in history, which is insane. And it's such a... Um, I like, I kind of don't, uh, geek out about my own shit a lot. Like I try not to, I try to, like, I don't keep a lot of like, of my own books in the house. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, you know, I just move on and I'm proud of the work and everything, but Venom will always, always and forever be, uh, my, my, my baby. The thing that I'm like the most proud of. Um, it's such a bizarre, bizarre time to be. Uh, sitting in that chair. I mean, when I, I mean, like, okay, so when I first got to Marvel in 2017, the first book I wrote was Thanos. Mm-hmm. And when I started writing it, no one on earth knew who Thanos was. <laughs> and like, I would tell my parents, they'd be like, is that a Pokemon? I don't know what that is. That's um, so weird. It's, that's it's not so that weird. long ago. And that's not It's that really long. not. And like within a span of like months, he was a household name and I was the dude on that title and it was so utterly bizarre. And then I mean, it's Venom, it's weird you know? that you I mean, Thanos was in all of those movies. He was just always in the end credits, making a dumb right. smile, being like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this will right. be important later. <laughs> well, you know, what's even weirder, too, is that like when Infinity War came out, that was the year that I wrote that Thanos miniseries. And the name of that Thanos series was called Thanos Wins. <laughs> and then I went and then I went and saw Infinity War. And I was like, well, I'll be goddamned if that's not what that dude just did. Holy shit. <laughs> he did it. I'm so proud of him. He did it. And then, you know, and then writing Venom uh, again as like a lifelong Venom just nut. I mean, I'm I am I'm a true blue nerd about this character. It, it, it wasn't just a job. But like being able to write that character the same year that the movie comes out, you know, and like all of a sudden it's exposed to the entire world. And like there's all these eyes on the character. It was um, it was a big deal for me to not screw it up forever for everyone, because, I, you know, you kind of have to get it in your head that like at, at least you hope that people are going to go see the the Tom Hardy version of it. And then they're going to gonna go to a comic book shop and you want them to be able to pick something up that is rad and like it it, it does um that, that kind of honors the character that got that like brought me here to, to this like i you know um i say it a lot um i haven't said it in a while because i haven't talked about this character in a while but the day before the, my first issue came out i was in calgary and i was there for a show 
And I think Ryan Stegman and I both knew that we were on to something special and that it was going to be a big deal. And we knew that especially that first issue was going to kind of turn things on its head, you know, and I, I have a kind of a weird thing where I'm like covered in tattoos. And so I always get a tattoo for every book that I write. If it's something tiny, you know, just anything. And so at Calgary, I just got up from my table and I walked across the, the show floor and I found a tattoo booth and I sat down and I got a Venom tattoo on my arm. I feel, I feel like I've been to a ton of comic book show, or comic book shows and I've never, oh, really? that's like a hell of a commitment to Artist Alley. I feel oh, like dude, paying yeah. $20 for a print is too much. <laughs> I've, I've gotten tattoos at a bunch of shows. Um, but the, the, so I, I turn back around and I go back to my table and there's a girl standing there at my table talking to my buddy who is, um, uh, tabling next to me. And I walk up and I meet that girl and I say hi to her. And that girl is my wife now. Wow. And that's, that's Megan. And like, if I, and the only reason I was invited to that show was because I was the writer of that book. And then like literally everything that is good in my life has come from this character. I mean, and I could I could go on like the deep dive and explain to you how like I didn't even start writing comics if it wasn't for that character because I couldn't afford toys when I was a kid. So I could but I bought clay and I sculpted Venoms as a kid. And then those sculptures ended up getting me a scholarship into art school where I met a teacher who got me into two writing. And then I mean, it's. It's my whole life. I mean, this character really is a, like a foundation of everything that I am. So let's talk about that character for a second, because it needs no introduction. Right. What if Venom, but beefier and pointier and slimier um, <laughs> and how slimy and how beefy is almost it's, it has a beautiful. Uh, I think one of the things that makes the character so compelling is Superman has a specific set of uh, proportions. Exactly, yeah. Spider-Man has a specific set of proportions. The Hulk, uh, despite what is happening in Immortal Hulk, usually has a recognizable <laughs> shape. Uh, but Venom can be drawn yeah. almost exp- like anything. Well, He's that, like yeah. a force of nature. He was such a dream as a kid to be able to like draw on your binders and stuff because like, yeah, you, you couldn't you draw couldn't, him wrong. You couldn't do it wrong. Exactly. You know, and like. <laughs> And when I was like sculpting as a little kid and stuff, like I remember I had a teacher who like caught me like sculpting in one of the the, um, in a class. And he came over and told me that like some of like the muscular uh, on his back were like wrong. And I was just like, nope, he's an alien. (laughs) He's an alien. This 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 all counts, you know, and like you're totally right. And we're going to get into that. Actually, uh, in the Clintar species below the trapezius, they have the (laughs) spabibius. So fuck you. Well, Clintar is actually not not the name of their species. That's their word for cage. Oh, but we'll get into it. Um, <laughs> Damn it. I, you wrote so many issues. I couldn't get to them all. It was too much. I had to get through all of Lethal Protector and Separation Anxiety before I even got to you. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about that, too, right? Because, like, a part of the, the you know, there's, there's something to be said for a character that, you know, for the longest time, um, you know, cause you see this in like ghost Rider, as I think like, like the most prominent example of this is that, um, much of his success is just due to like, so like if you talk about Superman or Batman or Peter Parker or any of these, there's like a, their success is kind of wrapped up in this mythology and this, mm-hmm. you know, these like very human relatable things. Right. Um, but with like ghost Rider, uh, he just fucking looks awesome, mm-hmm. you know, and that's okay. And like, it, it took a long time for you know, creators to kind of come in and start fleshing that out and start, you know, everything. And Venom, I mean, I mean, 
for my money, I don't think there's a cooler looking character than Venom. He's just, I mean, they're like, I, every single time people try and, and change the signal or, or the symbol on his chest, mm-hmm. they try and foot with any of it. I'm just like, I'm just like, like you can bend this thing all you want, but like, it's perfect. It's just perfect. It's flawless. You're not a, you, you were not a fan of the Mac Gargan Shamu eyes where you could see the pupils through the eye spots. I think that if, if the intention was to creep me the fuck out, then they, then they, <laughs> then they succeeded for sure. That, yeah. It's, you mentioned the cool looking character because. Uh, in the in the early 90s, late 80s, uh, comics were kind of entering the dark age, or they were solidly in the dark age. We had mm. the speculator market. Right. We had edgy characters. And uh, there was this line in the sand between legacy characters that were safe, that your dad right. liked. And yeah. then there were these dangerous characters. Right. You mentioned Ghost Rider, mm. Punisher, right. Wolverine, uh, and uh, Venom. Was this like touch of darkness in the Spider-Man universe? Yeah, that he uh, that was so enthralling to kids. Yeah. This like hulking monster, just all points and edges and inky blackness. Well, I mean, he was a he was in a he was an element of darkness in the, in a way that you had never really seen before in Spider-Man books. Like the bad guys are always to a certain degree, you know, uh, science-based and and colorful. Right. Well, I mean, you had uh, the scorpion who was right. just some a-hole in a bright green I leotard. Was... You had the vulture who was some old asshole in a bright green leotard. <laughs> you had Mysterio who was some asshole with a fishbowl on his head in a bright green leotard. <laughs> there were, the, okay, you might be making a point about Spider-Man. Right. But then you had Venom who, I mean, his first appearance, I mean, it, I remember. So I actually, I found the book. Um, uh, very well on on like accident. I I was I, my parents used to drop me off at the YMCA to babysit me because they both work jobs that like overlap. And I would just sneak out. This was back in the day when kids could just leave uh, daycares and just walk around the street. Um, and I wandered in the, into this comic book shop, and they had they were making bootleg T shirts, and they had I think it was like a Venom one that was like from Venom the Madness. Mm. Um, oh. and it was like, it, it was like him fighting juggernaut and he had all these like, mm. f- and I was just, I was, I just looked at it and I was like, what the fuck is this crazy evil Spider-Man? And so I found that and then I went back and the, what, what I was starting to say was his first appearance is so unbelievably terrifying. It's just Peter Parker waiting for a subway <laughs> and he just gets pushed onto the tracks. It's so <laughs> deliberate and brutal and like, you know, unsubtle. Right. Mm-hmm. And the idea that like, there's this bad guy who doesn't want to give big speeches, mm-hmm. isn't trying to rob a bank, mm-hmm. doesn't care about, about anything and can sneak up on Peter and knows that Peter is Spider-Man. That's the scariest thing in the world. This is this is my Venom rant. This is what I always say whenever Venom comes up and why I found Venom so enthralling. And that is uh, inherently Spider-Man is an empowerment fantasy for nerds, mm-hmm. for twerps, for like uh, weak kids, scared kids. Uh, literally half of his powers is just getting to dodge. It's built in that he has like an alert system. Right. And so more so he's not invulnerable. That's dumb. That's Superman, but he can dodge real good. Mm -hmm. And Venom is hand built to be the bully of Spider-Man. Right. Everything. He has all of Spider-Man's powers and 
every power that he has, it's better than Spider-Man. Right. He's stronger. He's faster. His webbing is like better. Mm. Uh, he doesn't trigger his spider sense. And he's not out to rob banks. He's not out to build a death ray. He's literally just out there to hurt Peter Parker emotionally and physically. And if you were ever like a picked on kid who just had the wrong asshole who had a right. vendetta against you, that level of like horrifyingly intense personal fear right. is what a nerd to a bully's dynamic is. And all of a sudden Spider-Man is back to being this scared, overwhelmed nerd who is powerless before this shadow figure of himself. It was so intense. Yeah, I mean, we always, we, we, we as readers always kind of felt, we always, Spider-Man is, as you said, kind of engineered to be a stand-in for us where, you know, the worse his life is, the, the more we as the audience feel the joy that he gets when he gets to go and escape mm -hmm. and go be Spider-Man. And we, and, and the inverse of that was always that we always felt safe when he came in the window at night, mm -hmm. he was back on home base in the game of tag. He was on home base, but then there's Eddie Brock who could just come and knock on the door. And you, you know, like it's one of the most terrifying scenes. I mean, I mean, when 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 they were writing Eddie as just a stone cold bad guy, the not, when uh, not not the his first appearance where he just goes like it's implied he just goes boo at Mary Jane right, and then yeah. runs away. Um, which McFarland drew the shit out of Mary Jane being terrified. It's actually like kind of upsetting. It to really is, yeah. She, um, but when he shows up at Aunt May's house oh, and is like full gooed up, yeah. Aunt May she, she goes to the door and he turns into the Con Ed guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's such so a creepy. Yeah. I mean, he was a terrifying, terrifying bad guy. I mean, and the, I remember being there was, um, you know, there was that big like the, it was like touted as like their final battle. And it's one of my favorite issues of all time is when they're. They go to, to the island, mm -hmm. you know, and they're like and they're and they're just like battling to the death. And you kind of realize or at least I did when I was reading that, that like, oh, man, like I've read every single time that Venom and Spider-Man have fought and Peter has never won. Mm -hmm. He's only mm -hmm. he's only ever just gotten away. He's only ever just ran. Uh, that issue. Uh, this was when Eric Larson took right. over for McFarlane and Larson is I feel like really pushed the Venom design. Oh, to yeah. Well, the kind of chaotic being that like really put him on t-shirts. The t mouth got the tongue. Gaping. Got, the well, tongue got, the got tongue. longer. Yeah. The yeah. teeth got pointed in a million different directions. The green goo. Spider-Man only wins by tricking Venom into right. thinking he killed him. Right. That's his only way out is just yeah. making the villain just assume like, He's only safe if the villain thinks he's dead. Right. Which is was such a mind blow. Yeah, I mean, it, it stands, it's one of the things that I try and carry around with me as a writer, um, especially at Marvel. Um, you know, I really love to introduce new characters and like um, kind of, I, I like to think that I'm an additive kind of a guy where I, I, I add things and construct things and find little pockets where there wasn't story and insert story there. Um, but what's really great about that is like you look at a character like Eddie Brock or like even like fast forward a little bit to um, JMS's run on Spider-Man where you had Morlin, right? And like and, and, and so you we all know how a Dr. Octopus fight goes. We all know how an Electro fight goes. We all know how that's going to play out. But with Eddie Brock and if you bring a new character into the mix, all of a sudden you as the reader, you're just like, wait. What the fuck is going to happen? How is he going to get out of this? Like, how is, like, 
yeah, legitimately there are scenes where like and this 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 what I'm about to say to me is why Venom, despite being like he could have just been a one off. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lord knows the 90s and late 80s were rife with the one off bad guys, new characters and stuff that never clicked. I mean, half of them all uh, co-starred in Venom in miniseries. Venom comics. I'm yeah, looking yeah, at yeah. You, I'm looking at you, the mace or Pyre. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Pyre. Yeah. What the? Nope. But what nope. I think what I think legitimately made Venom stick and it was one little tweak on him as a bad guy that I had never seen before in my entire life. Which was, he looked so cool, and he looked so scary. And you could tell that Peter was terrified of him, and everyone around him was terrified of him. But, during a fight, he would stop and help people get out of the way if something was bad was going to happen to other people. He didn't, he wasn't evil. He just wanted to kill Spider-Man. The end. <laughs> he would help other people. And that was something that, like, he... It elevated him in my head from like your typical like you know Doctor Doom or Apocalypse or Thanos like mustache twirling kind of a kind of a cat who just like is just evil and will kill anybody and kill babies and stuff. No, Eddie Eddie stops fighting Peter to go and help a, a child out of a car that's gone over, over a bridge, and that's the only way that Peter gets away. You know, like that is such a a an insane insanely brilliant way to write that character. You know, it's a it's so good. He cares about the innocence, guys. It's, yeah, right. It's, he, he has a twisted logic, but he still loves the innocence. That was a big thing for me when I I put together my Bible uh, for that uh, for that series. It was a book that, um, you know, a lot of people have asked me over the years, like, you know, you know, where did this idea come from? Where did this idea come from? Like, how much did you have to research and everything? And my answer is always that, like, I didn't do any research at all to write that book, except for the fact that I had done 34 years of research because I've never not bought the book and a large part of what you're reading. And I think that it's why it maybe resonated with people the way that it did. Or the, I, I, I hope that it did um, is that it really genuinely is like a culmination of like a 12 year old boy, like <laughs> making up stories in his head, you know, and like um, and so like the innocence thing, you know, like everyone, we, we all know why Peter does what he does. You know, like we all know why Peter has this responsibility thing because he had his Uncle Ben moment. And a big part of my, you know, we've talked about the idea of redeeming the character of Eddie Brock. Well, going into that series, part of the idea for redeeming him to at least shine some vulnerability on him was to give him his Uncle Ben moment Mm. why why does he care so much about innocent people where does that come from because he was just a journalist i mean he you know he didn't come back from nam or anything he was just a dude who you know started working out he's got fired although you did put symbiotes in vietnam um that book is called (laughs) venam and um, (laughs) it's very so god sometimes i look back on things i'm like i cannot believe they let me do that <laughs> with a title that good i, I mean, know there's See, no I mean, how do you not say no how do you not how do you not um and so you know like the little things like i mean this is i think uh, uh, this is one of my favorite things is that like when i was a little kid i always had comics and um you know i was the i was the you know you and i are probably like the last generation of kids who got made fun of for reading comics, right? And like, it wasn't cool. Like, it wasn't cool to wear like a Spider-Man t-shirt to school, you know? Like now it's just kind of- At our specific age, with the 
with the speculator boom and the rise of the dark ages, uh, it was cool. We just kept reading them after they weren't cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. They're right? like, wait, why are you still reading Youngblood? What right. is wrong with you? <laughs> we agreed this wasn't a thing anymore. Well, I mean, like I was the comic book guy, the comic book kid at my school. You know, like I was the, the the dude who knew I had an encyclopedia knowledge of everything. But I was also I would also just lie. I would also just make shit up. And it was like the earliest forms of me writing like dumb fanfic. And one of my favorite ones ever is I remember very clearly a friend of mine asking me like in like middle school, asking me why Venom has green like slime coming out of his mouth. And just off the top of my head, just making shit up, I said, oh, well, when Venom gets shot or like any like foreign things mm-hmm. go into the symbiote, it breaks it down and then it comes out of his mouth. And that's incredible. Cool. So he only does that when it, and then I uh, cut to like 30 years later, I retroactively made myself not a liar because I made that, <laughs> ca- I, I made that canon. <laughs> that you went at, the, the, uh, there's so many things you did great in your Venom run that like was so satisfying uh, the fact that you gave a canonical explanation why sound waves and fire were the things that made the symbiote freak out, right. which as a kid always were like, that's very arbitrary. It's right. just kind of they kind of just had to figure out a way to get, you know, it was kind of they just had that image of church bells and we're like, that's fun. Let's do that. Right, right, right. And then you were like, no, it, it dates back to the void and cosmos and life and it's all tied together and it yeah. makes perfect sense. Well, I mean, what are two things that you would never find in in the abyss? Light, heat and fire and, and sound. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, man. It, it's a it was a it's a blast. All right. Um, and I'm so um so proud of that run. And I, you know, I, uh, the King in Black was just like, uh, I mean, when I first got the assignment, I mean, I begged for it. I begged Marvel for that job. I really did. I wanted to ask, I wanted yeah. to ask, is, was it that you saw the potential, you knew that this was a kind of abandoned branch of the Marvel tree that you had freedom to kind of pursue, kind of like Abnon and Lanning did with Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. Like there's all these legendary runs where these characters are kind of, taken from their previous heights and actually allowed to flourish. Like, was that the strategy or it was not, it was, was someone like, ah, we got to do something. No, no, no. I, so I, I, I did a book called God country in 2017. And then, um, shortly afterwards, Marvel contacted me and asked if I wanted to come and write Thanos. And I'm a huge, like Jim Starlin nut job and just love all that cosmic stuff. And so I was just like, Abs- oh my God, it was a dream. It was a dream gig. Right place, right time. Um, that book um, exploded, um, probably in large part to do with, you know, the film coming out and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and um, so Marvel uh, signed me to an exclusive deal, which I'm, I'm still in. Uh, uh, there's only like there's only about like 15 of us or so that are exclusive. You know, Marvel employs a, a great deal of writers and artists, but um, the 15 or so, it, it fluctuates, of us are the ones who go to the summits and, like you said, at the top of the of the show, like, kind of plot out, you know, the whole um, world, right? I mean, it's just a, I assume it's just a big wheel of uh, visually impressive disasters to befall New York City. And it's <laughs> well, just like, is the moon going to fall on it? We'll call it moon crash. Well, if I'm in the room, yes. I, 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 <laughs> I tend to try and destroy that city as much as possible. Um, but so I was in the room and I, um, so when you're an exclusive, so just kind of like inside baseball stuff, when you're an exclusive writer, essentially 
um, you know, you have to write a certain amount of titles a, a month and a year and all these kinds of things, right? And so after Thanos was kind of winding down and Doc, 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 Doctor Strange, which is my second book, uh, was kind of winding down, um, there was like a lot of options in front of me. And they had presented me with like five different things. It was like um, Iron Fist and like Shang-Chi and... Um, Return of Speedball, uh, Speedball Rising. <laughs> yeah. Um, Speedball and then, uh, Requiem. There was a cable book. And then... Um, on that cable book, um, I'm actually just remembering this now. I don't think I've ever told this part of this story ever. So it's exclusive here for you. When, so, you, when he tells this story at a panel, when uh, cons are back <laughs> in full swing, just yell, you already said this on Wizard and the Bruiser. <laughs> they love it when you do that at panels. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, in my cable pitch, um, there was a... It was, was going to be like a time-traveling seven where he was like trying to find this like serial murderer and one of my first blushes at the idea was that it was going to end up being Cletus Cassidy ah. and I I, I kind of brushed over it and then um, uh, our, our, the former editor-in-chief Axel Alonzo uh, read that and came back to me and was just like well, what do you think about Venom though and I was like dude is that is that possible is that a thing you know because the thing is like there was already someone on the book like Mike Costa was doing a run on the book and I'm never one to try and like, you know, if someone's like sitting down on, on a title, like it's yeah. it's it's not cool to, you know, jockey for their book, you know. Um, and so I just kind of thought it was off off bounds. And and I, and, I, and I was like, Axel, that's that's like kind of my dream book, dude. Like that's <laughs> like my favorite character in the world. And he was like, well, actually, you know, if you're willing to wait a little bit, I think Mike's going to uh, wrap down on that. Uh, with like issue 150 or something like that. And it just so happened that I went to my first summit and I went up to the, the editor um, on the book, uh, Devin, and I introduced my, myself and I was like, hey man, um, so I really, I, I need to write Venom. I need to. <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't know me at all. He didn't know me at all. And he was just like, oh, okay, well we can talk about it. And he like gets the that week every after week. that. It's just, I, just sweaty strangers he, being like, I, I have yeah, to. Yeah, right. I have, this means something. <laughs> this is important. Um, I sent him a proposal and <laughs> years later, I mean, it was like 20 pages long. I mean, it, it was absurd. It was so long. I mean, it, and it had like every, in like various forms, it, it had like, absolute carnage in it. it it had king and black in it it had null it had venom island it had like all these ideas and years later dev would tell me that he read as far as symbiote dragons <laughs> and was like okay yeah let's do this let's let's go you were like number one eddie brock was now wearing boxer shorts no more weird black speedo whenever he gets hit by a sonic laser which there are way too many of in the number two there's way less sonic lasers lying around it feels weird that there's always a sonic laser just handy nearby number three then like part 15 you get to the dragons right yeah yeah the boxers thing was a point of contention i i always i always wanted him to be naked mm -hmm. um and I, th I thought it'd be way scarier but um you know Disney. Uh. <laughs> no, no, no. That was uh, um, actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm joking about that. But the look of Eddie in our book was something that was very um, that we 
we went back and forth on a lot because Ryan Stegman um, had drawn the book b- before he drew Venom Inc. Yeah. Um, with Dan Slott, um, which is where uh, Flash Thompson dies. Um, and, uh, you know, Eddie, Eddie has. Don't worry, folks. He gets better. Yeah, I, I took care of that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, you know, Eddie has not only has Venom looked so different over the years, but Eddie himself, when he was first introduced, is this very like kind of like he looked like an old boxer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hamburger face. All exactly. The way. Exactly. And then in the 90s, he got like long hair and he kind of got pretty. You know, there was no just if you want to see a naked man uh, crumpled on the floor, covered in black <laughs> stringy goo yeah. with just the most magnificent mullet you have ever oh, seen God. in your entire luxurious mullet. You read some late 90s. Dude, <laughs> I I fought for a mullet so goddamn hard and uh, we, we we never did it. But like I, I, I but so anyway, I, the idea was, is that when we started doing it, uh, um, I asked Ryan to kind of turn in some um, designs for the character. And he was kind of like designs. I mean, it's Venom. Like it's going to it's going to look, look like him. And I was like, no, I, I have a very specific kind of Venom. I, I need it to be, though. Because we're doing we're doing a a a really big epic um, hero's journey, like all the way to the top, all the way to the bottom, all the way back up. And he needs to be relatable, and he needs to be human. You need you need to be able to when he's in the suit, you need to be able to tell that a human being is in there. So not huge and monstrous, not over the top. And then when we see Eddie. I kind of need him to be a little bit more leading man. Um, I kind of need him to be a little bit more sympathetic and 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 not because as soon as you give him that boxer's face, like that kind of beaten up, kind of villainy kind of looking face, right? You automatically throw readers into the mindset of like them recalling, you know, him like abusing Mary Jane and him doing these horrible things and everything. And I didn't, I, I couldn't have that here. Yeah. I couldn't have that. I couldn't have that guy be the same guy who's in in ten issues going to be holding his son, mm-hmm. you know, and like being a being a dad and stuff. And so that was all very, very, um, uh, you know, thought out and 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 agonized over. Um, I mean, I didn't agonize over as much as Ryan did. Ryan was so pissed off at me. It was like, I get, dude, I, I mean, know, the, I know the how to draw idea venom. of telling Ryan Stegman <laughs> to do an understated venom is a very, it's like, it's almost, well, what are you even doing? Well, I mean, I think, I think, I like to think Ryan uh, got to draw some pretty epic shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, this might be, a, I mean, I've, we've, gone, we've gone long before getting into the history, but I just, this is such a rare opportunity. Uh, I feel very special. I feel, uh, I hope the listeners are getting a lot out of this. But in theory, this is a retrospective history podcast. So let's try and get into it. Yeah, let's do uh, it. When talking about superhero origins, uh, it's very it's very easy to be like, ah, Stanley and Jack Kirby, like, ah, there was uh, there was uh, there was Jerry Siegel, Joe Schuster, like, oh, you know, these just easy peasy. Right. This person created this character story, and Venom is not that kind of story. Nope. Venom nope. <laughs> has uh, several daddies. There yes. is just I'm counting at least seven or eight daddies, all responsible, and like a weird uncle Venom. that we don't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the earliest, the earliest possible. Uh, thing that uh, someone has claimed uh, superstar comics artist and writer John Byrne claims that he was the one who first came up with the idea of an organic suit that was partially sentient and that was and that he Iron wanted Fist, to incorporate right? yes he wanted yeah. to incorporate it into Iron Fist yeah. because he hated the idea of Danny Rand that's his name right whatever mm-hmm. uh, sewing his little high collar in between <laughs> issues Spidey writer Roger Stern then asked if he could use the idea for a later book, uh, especially with the introduction of the new black costume, which uh, leads us to the 1980s, a, a spry young whippersnapper uh, by the name of Randy Schuler, right. who is n- known in history yep. for uh, doing a story pitch for one of Marvel's many talent competitions. And uh, in this story pitch, he said, uh, what if Spider-Man, in order to be uh, kind of cooler and more stealthy, gets a new costume upgraded, made from the same unstable molecules as the Fantastic Four's costumes. Because it feels weird that Spider-Man always gets his suit ripped and is always kind of in the trash uh, when he's friends with the Fantastic Four, who famously have these remarkable, stretchy, unbreakable costumes. And uh, Jim Shooter, the editor-in-chief at the time, uh, by the way, if I get the titles wrong, if he was actually supervising editor or publisher or all the weird little things, mm. please don't yell. <laughs> please don't yell at me. Please don't yell at Donny Cates for not correcting me. Just don't yell. Don't yell. Please. Uh, Jim Shooter bought that story pitch for 220 bucks, and it's unfortunately, uh, Shuler never got to write the full story until like uh, in the mod. I think they finally like published the original pitch. Uh, the original script in like a compilation book, right? Something yeah, like yeah, it was. And um, and uh, I, I, in my run, in our run, we tried to hit as much like cultural touchstones as possible. And uh, when Eddie's symbiote, when the symbiote gets disconnected and become, kind of becomes brain dead to a certain extent, and it turns into a dog that he just walks. Uh, no one picked up on it. No one said anything about it, but, um, Eddie calls it, uh, random. Oh, yeah. And I was, I was hoping that somebody would pick that up, but that, that's all I got. <laughs> With this idea of lock stock, official property of Marvel publishing, uh, Jim Shooter remembers it when in 1986 in a, uh, toy crossover with Mattel, the secret wars, uh, famous, uh, one of the big Marvel events books, Battle World, The Beyonder. We all love it. It's all fantastic. Um, uh, at Mattel's insistence, they wanted more Toyota, Toyetic uh, novel takes on the character to sell more toys because by this point, 
any child that wanted a Spider-Man toy already had a Spider-Man doll figure, whatever you want to call it. And so uh, Shooter was like, hey, we got this black suit idea. How does this work? And I'm sure... Um, I'm sure that uh, the artists uh, involved were like, oh, thank God, I don't have to draw all those goddamn little fiddly webbings on the costume anymore. <laughs> this is the best idea ever. Right. Uh, even as a kid, even as a kid, it was just so like, goddamn Steve Ditko <laughs> with those detailed feats and those fiddly little webbing lines. Like, I just, it's such a, like, you drew Spider Man. You drew a cool pose, and then it was time to draw the little webby lines, and you were just right. like, fuck, this isn't fun anymore. Well, the black costume, though, also, I mean, we had seen it before. We had, when when Peter gets it in Secret Wars number eight, that design is almost one for one for um, for Jessica Drew. For, right. Uh, yeah. The spider, uh, the spider one. Right, yeah. And I I, th- I believe in that issue when he, he puts it on, he even like says out loud, or he like thinks like, I must have been subconsciously thinking about her costume or something like that, which is weird. I mean, that was another shoot. I think uh, Jim Shooter and Mike Zek were also working on that Spider-Man book. So uh, uh, anything to give uh, that character more of a pop and a closer relationship right. to Spider-Man. You know, and, they, and they have the fresh toyetic idea. Everybody wins. It makes perfect commercial sense for everyone involved, um, except the fans. Because when the design yeah. launches in the and it launches in the mainstream book before it's even revealed in the yeah. Secret Wars crossover, people do not have a great reaction to it. Um, it should be noted at this point that uh, the term symbiote is not at mentioned at all. Spider-Man is uh, in the Secret Wars comic. He walks into a big room full of fancy costume of uh, fancy machines. Yeah. I think Thor and Hulk were like, right. hey, did you see that cool machine that gives There's you a, a thing cool new back costume? There. Yeah, <laughs> go go put your head in this microwave. Like no one like it's they're on an alien planet, and Peter's just like, okay, all right, yeah, cool. And they do the thing that all like toy commercial tie-ins do. It's like, I'm so much stronger and better in this new right. costume. Yeah. You know, there's none of the things they added where like Oh my my anger! It, it's enhancing my aggressive nature. Like right. oh, there's a none of that's going on. No. Um, and so uh, it's it just kind of it's just part of Spider-Man's deal. And um, I eventually it's Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends who write the storyline where uh, all of a sudden the costume gets a little uppity. Uh, he starts kind of when Spider-Man is sleeping, the costume puts itself on him and starts going on adventures without him. Uh, there's a very weird couple of panels with a completely unconscious Peter Parker doing somersaults across the New York City skyline uh, while the costume kind of carries him around. And that's when he visits the Fantastic Four. And Reed Richards is like, oh, golly, the alien costume's an actual alien. It's a symbiote. And uh, oh, uh, I guess you just got to get rid of it. They go to, you know, famous scene, the clock tower, ring, 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 and the costume completely disappears. There's no Eddie Brock. There's no nothing. You see it on page, just just fade away into little motes of dust. And that's pretty much the end of it. Um, But they still bring the costume back every now and again. Uh, Black Cat, uh, Miss Felicia herself, hands him a cloth version of the costume that he can still wear for like night missions and as kind of like a little mix em up. Maybe to keep selling toys. It was always kind of a signal that that like that even if it wasn't the symbiote, you always kind of knew that when Peter put the black suit on, that it was 
it was about to get mean. Yeah. Like it was, it was, that was his, like, I'm not fucking around suit. Spider-Man black ops. This is wet. Yeah, exactly. Right. By the way, really quick uh, aside. um, I was probably um, like 14 issues into writing this actual book before I discovered that the word symbiote is not a real word. Well, there's the, well, animals can have a symbiotic relationship. Exactly. But a symbiote is not a real thing. It's not a real word. It's like adamantium or anything. It's just completely made up. It's actually kind of weird because by its very nature, the, I mean, by definition, a symbiosis is a mutually beneficial exchange. Right. That's like why they had to create the word right. instead of yeah. parasite. Yeah. <laughs> but in, yeah, throughout that initial revelation, they're like, you don't understand. It's a well, it's not a parasite. You actually, there's no downside. It's, it, it's everybody wins. Like that's, that's less dramatic, yeah. but it does sound fancy. But yeah, when they, but, but it's also weird too, when Reed is telling him like, if you don't take it off now, you'll never be able to take it off and it'll, it'll eat you alive and everything. <laughs> and, and I remember like reading it and being like, well, that's not symbiosis at all. That's, <laughs> that, that's, that's bad. Reed Richards like, bad. you don't understand. You'll be able to process sugars from photosynthesis more accurately. <laughs> You don't, you'll, you'll gain the, you'll have biochemical luminescence and also some <laughs> proteins you'll digest easier. Like that's nothing. About, also there's like, if you have a gut biome, there are symbi- symbiotes inside you right now. Right. And they're yeah. fine. They help you poop. Yeah. Yeah. I get the special yogurt with extra symbiotes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Where's that tie in? They should have done, they should have done that. We are Activia. <laughs> Yo play, please sponsor. So us. yeah, so it was a long it was a it was a while before the eddy of it all started to to creep back in, so to speak. And this is hard because all you know, creators are working with their memories. Creators have an incentive to hype themselves up. And right. you know, I do. I really believe John Byrne is the true Omni Dad of Venom. I don't know. I'm just saying what people say. Right. Um. But the in in popular popular mythology at this point, we finally reach 1988. Uh, David Michelini is uh, in the middle of a very long, very legendary run on Spider-Man. And uh, there's a hot new artist who, uh, having kind of wowed people on his run on The Incredible Hulk with a lot of grody hamburger-faced people, uh, (laughs) Mr. Spawn himself, Todd McFarlane, is getting brought onto the book. And according to him, uh, one of his his specific requests, or I guess his his ultimatums, is I'll draw Spider-Man. But I do not want to draw him in the black costume. Uh, it's not that's not what Spider-Man is. I'm here to draw. You mock the little web lines. I'm drawing little web lines on everything. Yeah. You're, you're going to be like, please stop drawing little web lines. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm Todd McFarlane. Um, now, imagine I said that in a thick Boston accent and that would be an accurate hey, betrayal. Hey, bud. <laughs> <laughs> and so the idea was, well, we'll keep the black costume, but put it on a villain mm-hmm. and we'll use the symbiote. Th- oh, we'll just say the symbiote's back. Uh, supposedly Michelini wanted a woman mm-hmm. to be the new symbiote villain. And it was the, uh, edit- editorial that was like, it's just not threatening enough. Like you don't want to see Spider-Man beating up a woman. Um, especially because this is a comic book in the late eighties, early nineties. So she can't, uh, be anything besides a supermodel <laughs> in terms of physique. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that doesn't look right. And so, uh, they were like, Hey, Tom McFarlane, can you draw a big hulking weird dude with a hamburger face? And Tom McFarlane was like, who are you? This I'm the, I'm, I'm, you're talking to the guy. I'm Mr. Hamburger face. I'm going to, I'm going to stop saying hamburger face. It was, it was, am I, am I making this up? Cause I, I seem to recall an interview where Todd said 
something on the, the lines of that, that he didn't know that there was going to be a, a person underneath that that, that 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 he was under the assumption that he was just drawing a monster. Mm. Did I, did, did I don't I make that I don't up. Know that. I, I, I mean, he's given a lot of interviews, and I 100 percent trust that that exists. I'm not going to be like. <laughs> uh-uh. I think I recall him talking about like if he had known that there was a person underneath it, that he wouldn't have drawn it so kind of blown out and like with the jaw so big and like the teeth so big and all that kind of stuff. You know that he and you kind of think about like when he would go on to spawn and do like. You know, those big giant monsters and stuff like that, it kind of makes sense. Like that big d- distended jawline and stuff is a very, you know, that's a Todd uh, hallmark, you know. But I mean, well, in this initial appearance, uh, you know, this is Amazing Spider-Man 299 and then 300. Um, he is actually kind of uh, a little subdued. Like he has the physique, but he's very controlled. He's He just looks like a very buff dude in a black suit. Yeah, he's not the huge monster menacing yet. smile. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just kind of it's more in that initial confrontation. It's more just the smile and not even jagged teeth. It's uh, right. I kind of think uh, eventually uh, as McFarlane draws the character more, the jaws get wider, the teeth get pointier, uh, but he keeps the tongue relatively. It's just a normal tongue in a big mouth. Yeah. And it's not till Eric Larson, uh, Savage Dragon, uh who hadn't joined Image at that particular moment. He was, a uh, McFarlane left to help found Image. Larson was quickly behind him. Uh, Larson did really good work kind of morphing the character into this savage beast that I think Absolutely. we all s- sold a lot of t-shirts of. Yeah, those, those were all like the tops trading cards and stuff that, I, yeah. that you found, you know, like the, like the big, huge, jagged teeth and like, I want to say, like, I think, I mean, like, Eric was the one who really blew out, like, the green slime of it all. And I, I mm-hmm. love that shit. And the character is extremely popular. Uh, he moves issues. Uh, if he's on the cover, it's, you're gonna, you, you gotta do something with him. Um, let's see, where, where's my chronology? When did Maximum Carnage come out? 1993. 19, okay, so 1993 is kind of the year of Venom then. Yeah. Because uh, the Maximum Carnage uh, story comes out. We're introduced to Carnage, uh, who is Venom's secret uh, Earth baby. who's like <laughs> Venom, but red and pointier. And he has, all, and he expresses all of the psycho-violence potential that Venom's initial design kind of, embodied but didn't right. execute on yeah and uh venom is kind of i remember they have to go back to the island where he thought he killed yeah. Peter parker and has to be like hi i'm alive Sorry. <laughs> i kind of need you to we gotta we gotta, you gotta help me kill your son you gotta, or yeah. capture capture yeah maximum carnage is all about the the core dynamic that spider-man doesn't want to kill and venom is willing to kill is right. kind of the emotional core of that storyline yeah. it's like a 14 issue crossover this was when there were four or five different Spider-Man uh, books all getting published at the same time. Right. And this is the and this is the beginning of the redemption of Eddie Brock. I mean, this is when this whole thing starts and it's it's due, I mean, completely to sales. I mean, they they needed to figure out a way to make this. I mean, Eddie Brock is really like the Hobbs and Shaw of of the Spider-Man franchise. You Very know? much like, so. Very he, much he so. He got, got spun off as fast as humanly possible. You know, I mean, and it's actually kind of a brilliant way to do it, right? Like, how do you make Eddie and and seem less scary and more of a hero? Oh, well, you just introduce a scarier Venom. Mm-hmm. It's just, just he is now the lesser of two right. evils. Exactly, just a worse one. Who, um, Cleus Cassidy? Uh, that 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 whole uh, sequence drawn by Mark Bagley. 
Um, oh. And Cletus Cassidy was a serial killer uh, who was very much modeled after the Joker. I mean, if you look at the first drawings of him in, in the cell, he's listening to a Motley Crue um, tape uh, in jail. And uh, yeah, he's just he's just the Joker with big, bright red hair. I mean, he looks eerily the facial structure, the hair. He looks like a killing joke. Joke. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it was, I think, very intentionally done. So, you know, um, and I mean, he's like in like I mean, he's, he's in Ravencroft. Um, so he's in like, you know, Arkham Asylum, you know, and just, yeah. what happens if you give the Joker a symbiote? I mean, it's. Awesome. It's great. It's perfect. It's awesome. I give us another 15 years before we get that and it'll cost, uh, they'll launch their own separate streaming service to watch that. (laughs) (laughs) All the rights issues pan out for everyone involved. Um, Especially with the way the Venom movie made money, they'll absolutely give Joker a symbiote. Um, But now we come to the era of the spinoffs, which to me is kind of the weird dark ages. Uh, it starts with Lethal Protector. It had an awesome foil cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was drawn by Bagley, written by David Michelini. And they kind of start to divorce Venom from Spider-Man's world. They literally sent him across the country to San Francisco. Right. Um, he is introduced to uh, as kind of this protector of the uh, castaways, the homeless, uh, the mole people, for lack of a better word. And uh, his villains are uh, increasingly... Uh, weird corporations that want symbiote stuff. Yeah, it's all like government agencies and all these things. And But I mean, even, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I mean, you can see right there at the beginning when Bagley comes on um, uh, to draw that first series, his first solo series, all of a sudden Eddie is, uh, he's not like that scary boxer looking dude anymore. He's he's mm. he's, he's a little bit smaller. He's, he's, he's more lithe. You know, he has his kind of long, longer hair. Uh, He's kind of a handsome guy, you know. And so they're very much presenting him, you know, as like this is a punisher kind of a like he's going to be a uh, anti-hero kind of a person, you know. I I mean, and anti-heroes were selling like hotcakes. So absolutely. Absolutely. So he's willing to kill. He's willing to, you know, it's it's very weird how much of the 2018 movie takes from this initial Lethal Protector miniseries. Uh, we then get introduced to uh, the extra symbiotes. We're talking Riot. We're talking Phage. We're talking Scream. I yeah, think. Scream and Lasher, and yeah, and th- these are Lasher. the these are the Life Foundation uh, symbiotes, which, yeah. which fans of the film will 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 know. We saw the vast majority of them, um, and that's. Is that in that first miniseries? There, uh, they the, the extra symbiotes from the Life Foundation are introduced in Lethal Protector, right. and yeah, they yeah, yeah, yeah. show back up again in Separation Anxiety. Yeah, uh, there's Venom, the Madness, which uh, what influenced your uh, be, your beginning is into Goop, into Goop size, uh, into Goop. Yeah, life. Yeah, I yeah. guess uh, where. He fights the juggernaut. He's trying yeah. to hook up with an ex-girlfriend. Uh, it's very, it's, the artist is Kelly Jones, but mm-hmm. it feels like the Max. It does. There's a it's, lot of, yeah. he he fights like inner demons that represent like negative traits. His body morphology is all over the place. Look up Venom the Madness artwork. It's and it crazy, feel yeah. It's like a fever. Dream. It was written by Ann Nocenti, um, and it is Wild. It really is one of the first instances of of an artist coming in there and pushing Venom 
like the the design and pushing how insane it, it can go because I mean he's literally he's transported to a realm of insanity and like you said he faces like the avatars of insanity whose names are paranoia dusk and necromancer which is <laughs> fucking awesome um you know, he gets dunked in toxic waste right. and grows hundreds of tiny eviler heads. And everyone I knew had that toy. I mean, the yeah. amount of toys. I mean, we skipped over that. I mean, the, I mean, by this point in in Venom, like I mean, there was every. I mean, there was like a shark one. There was there was like an underwater one. There was one that like spit ooze. There was you know the twelve inch du- the deluxe one. I know all this because I'm looking at all of them um, in my office right now. Um, yeah, I mean, this this time for me, um, you say it's like the dark period for the character, but this is extremely my shit. Yes. Like all these weird miniseries. I mean, they were just, I mean, like Larry Hama wrote a lot of them. And what's weird to me, it's so odd, and I don't know the answer to this, is they made so many of these just like little like four and five issue miniseries and his plot stayed pretty good throughout them. Like the same recurring characters, um, the same like plot lines of like, um, you know, the overreach committee Mm -hmm. who put a bomb, put a bomb in his chest and had him do these like, you know, uh, um, like black ops things for him. Um, The vault and the jury and all these things, they stayed so constant. It's bizarre to me why he didn't just have an ongoing series. You know, I mean, he was so popular. It's odd that it's I, all broken I assume up. it's the speculation boom where like an issue one is just going to sell way more no matter what you do. Um, I think Larry Hama also introduced uh, She-Venom and Waning, right. uh, who uh, is... That design is pointed to very often as an example of like, what were they smoking during that period? Well, but then it's in, it's in the movie. It's yeah, in, it's yeah. In the, it's in the it was a huge film. pop. It was an incredibly huge. And it's literally crazy. from the comic, it's there. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, which one was it? It's not the hunted. I don't think there was one. I found the artwork online and I posted it because it is so surreal. There's a scene where, um, Man waning, uh, Eddie Brock's uh, ex-wife, uh, who became she Venom, uh, is being held somewhere, and yep. Venom calls her yep. and extends the Venom symbiote as a monofilament down yep. the telephone line, which breaks all sorts of rules that we're not going right. to get into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they have he infects her with the symbiote as well, and they have like a three-way right. over the phone line it's as a- Venom, and the people are like, <laughs> wow, she's in ecstasy, and and the t- captions are like, greater than the physical, two bodies, three minds, all as one. And I was just like, this is so horny. That's a series called Along Came a Spider. Um, oh, and, oh, wait, and, off the bat, you, you were like, oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I know what it is. Yeah, and that's all, it's all, well, I mean, I know it off the top of my head because it's also it was a it was a, a kind of a foundational series that we kind of had to dance between the raindrops dur- during our run because um, right after this, um, Annie's um, uh, experience of being bonded with the symbiote um, it it fucked her up so bad it like it drove her insane to the point where right after this she kills herself. 
um, because of the trauma and stuff, because she thinks that like every time she looks in a mirror, she sees the symbiote. It's everywhere. Also, it was a '90s comic, so you have to kill the lady character so yeah, that our main character has, feels exactly. Bad. Yeah. Um, so we had to find we we had to research and find a time where it would be plausible that Anne would have been pregnant ah. and would have given. And the reason the reason that she ends up giving the child up and gives it to Eddie's father to raise. Um, is because she 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 doesn't trust herself and she doesn't trust her 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 mind mm. because everywhere she's she's she sees that and so she's she gives this kid up and then um if you kind of if you're kind of reading the book and you know the backstory you know that she kind of goes and drops that baby off and then goes home and jumps off the roof yeah <laughs> it's really dark like yeah venom's venom's hardcore it it it, it didn't it didn't uh, fuck around. But all good things come to an end. And uh, there's a the bubble kind of bursts a little. Mm. Uh, a lot of the characters that were printing money all of a sudden became overexposed. Um, and Venom kind of fades into the background a little. And uh, it's, it, these are it's at this point, it's like kind of the late 90s and the early 2000s. And uh, the character kind of kind of just kind of fades off a little. Uh, there's stuff like uh, I, I, I there's Daniel Way's like run, yeah, yeah. There's stuff like Daniel Way's run, um, but like I guess what I'm trying to say is we enter a period where there's new hosts and mm-hmm. the character of Venom kind of jumps around a little, and yeah. Eddie Brock kind of uh, gets a little more interesting at this point. Yes, yeah. I mean, we we we, we go through Daniel Way's run, which is um, has incredible art by Scotty Young. Um, Scotty, who's primarily like known for these kind of like awesome um, listener of the show, say hi. No, I mean, I'll just text Scotty and say hi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hi, Scotty. I mean, Scotty, you know, is is somewhat known. His style today is 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 these kind of like like super cute and like really fun and you know uh, playful uh, um, uh, drawings. But when when Scotty was doing this Venom run with Daniel, I mean, it was. Like we were saying, saying saying earlier, like the Max. I mean, it was brutal. It was hardcore. It was really scary. And that and, and that Daniel run was really a a horror book, mm. which um, was something that they started to kind of steer into. Um, I mean, one of the first stories in Daniel's run was um, essentially just the thing. Like they were all at an Arctic base, and the symbiote got loose, and all these things, you know. Um, and then, yeah, it starts to jump around a little bit. And are you, are you I'm assuming you're about to jump into the, to, to the Matt Garg, Gargan of it all? Uh, yeah, I think I think in terms of major updates, uh, Matt Gargan's the next major era, because in my head, the Matt Gargan uh, era is kind of a blip. But when uh, you sit down and look at it, he was Venom from 2004 to 2011. Like there's maybe people right. listening right now that the same kind of intensity and introduction to the characters that we had uh, was like, hell yeah, I picked up Secret Invasion and there was right. this like Venom guy and he was a real badass, Matt Gargan, yeah. love him, that's Venom. Right, exactly. And and to your point about about um, Brock too, I mean, the whole reason that, that, that Gargan gets a hold of that suit in the first place is because Eddie has cancer <laughs> and Eddie is, is dying. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't it get sold at a super 
bad guy auction. He literally sells it at a bad guy auction. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's where what's his face? Uh, 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 who is, I God. It's a very funny name. It's like a very Italian. Oh, <laughs> yes. I, uh, it was a mob boss's son. Um, yeah. His name was like Antonio. Oh, God. I, it's okay. It's barely, he, he barely blips. He, yeah, he falls off of a building. Like the symbiote jumps off of him when he's, when he's. Um, Angelo Fortunato. That's right. Angelo Fortunato. Yes. Um, and so Matt Gargan gets it when he, and this is the dark Avengers time. This mm-hmm. is the dark reign. Um, it's post civil war. Um, Norman Osborn, um, has taken over, um, uh, shield and he is the iron Patriot. He's wearing a captain America, Tony Stark combination armor, which we've seen in the films. Um, and he assembles, uh, his own team and he gives the best to Matt Gargan and, um, Matt Gargan is brutal. He's really, really hardcore. I mean, it's a, <laughs> at first he's very much just the Spider-Man black costume. Like he's just <laughs> stay like that. And then it just starts to evolve and evolve and evolve. And I think it, I think by the end of it, he, 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 he has a scorpion tail too, right? Yeah. 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 Because Matt Gargan was also the uh, scorpion who you might remember as one of the assholes in a green leotard that Spider-Man used to fight. <laughs> Addiction plays hardball he would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, but then I mean, I mean, I mean, we're we're I mean, we're gonna butt right up against this. I mean, you said that he would kind of be the guy until twenty eleven, right? Yeah, twenty eleven, and, and which is when we get, I think, like the, probably the biggest resurgence of the character from like since Eddie Brock took over, which is Rick Remender and Tony Moore coming on and relaunching the book uh, with Flash Thompson. This Agent Venom. Uh, is a very important uh, moment in the history of the character. Uh, by this time, uh, Flash Thompson, who was kind of the big man on campus, Art- Riverdale-ass bully right. to Spider-Man's early adventures, the big football star, uh, they always try and give him something to give him depth. And uh, as was the style at the time, uh, they made him a troop, uh, kind of working. He, right. I think he... And so... He was a wounded veteran who lost both of his legs in either Iraq or Afghanistan. He was in Afghanistan. And uh, the U.S. kind of bonds him with the symbiote and it grants him the ability to walk again. And he kind of does kind of, uh, cool black ops things, kind of deals with his own drama. I think the Ararat Corporation is his answer to the Life Foundation. And there's yeah. a bunch of shenanigans with him. Uh, but 
the what the Venom symbiote represents kind of changes. And, uh, you know, one's relationship to power, one's relationship to their inner darkness kind of comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, the character is kind of beloved for its weirdly mature tone. Uh, the design is radical. Uh, they even end up introducing it in these uh, cartoons of the era that come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flash Tom, there's animated Agent Venom in a lot of things. Um, and uh, Remender does a really good job with a character that a lot of people had kind of written off by that point. You know, he was in the Gargan era. He was kind of just there as part of a team. He was right. kind of just there to be like, hey, I'm remember Venom. Um there was also anti-venom at a certain point. Was that Slot who threw that around? Yep. Yeah. Or? Yeah. Yeah. That was. Uh, yeah. It was a came out of Mister Negative, um, who could like cure cancer by touch. I'm. I'm. Mister Negative has yeah. magic energy powers, and he charges the symbiote remnants in Eddie yes. Brock's blood, and creates this uh, anti-venom character. Um, the weird jealousy, will they, you know, of mm-hmm. Gargan, Brock, and Flash Ta- and Flash all kind of like having their own connection to the symbiote. Yeah. Had this like very kind of, I'm not going to call it a love triangle, but there was a lot of very intense emotional moments. It is very, it is, I mean, even like, I mean, it. it's, it's one of these bizarre things when like, even between like Peter and Eddie, when I wrote them, I always wrote them as like, two guys who had dated the same girl and mm-hmm. they both, and they both got dumped <laughs> and they like, and they're like, I'm really sorry that we fought so much and now we're both alone. Like, <laughs> I mean, you, know? you felt for Eddie uh, in those early, early books where like, you know, one of Peter Parker's desperation moves would be to just whip his shirt off and be like, come on, baby, take me back. You don't want to kill yeah. me. Come on, come back yeah. to daddy. Well, that was a, a whole big thing too. I mean, that that, that was a a, a a big through line um, with our run too. Because I mean, I loved all all of this Rick uh, the the Flash stuff. I loved this entire run. I thought it was brilliant, uh, and it really was like Rick was one of the one of the not the first, but like one of the first guys who really made a, an impact with bringing in um, like some really serious themes and some really like mature themes and like using the symbiote as more like a metaphor for you know um addiction or like abuse or trauma or any of these kinds of kinds of things you know um and so you know i don't i don't think that um you know i don't think that like stegman and i's run would exist had this not been accepted before Mm -hmm. us if like if we could treat the character of venom with like some gravitas and like you know uh, some serious tones and like you know Rick was really the one who forged that ahead and made sure that absolutely that it that it would that it would carry that you know um yeah I honestly feel bad that I just never got through it I just I was always happy to see the character and what I read of it was always very effective and very good I just never actually like hunkered down and went through the whole series that's great but Agent Venom uh eventually runs his course he becomes Agent Anti Venom for a while mm-hmm. and um. I guess uh, by this time, a young whippersnapper, to bring it full circle, <laughs> is uh, presented with an idea and a pitch with dragons in it. And you get to take a crack at it at around the same time that uh, a movie comes out that uh, did incredibly well. It was also I mean, it was it was again, just like I'm very fortunate. I found myself in like some very like just like very favorable wins, right? I mean, you don't sell yourself short. Like I've picked <laughs> up a million. How many times do you pick up a tie-in book or a relatively timely comic? And it's like, 
not it's not good. Like there's a reason why it has, you know, the fact that a lot of people got exposed to it doesn't mean they go back and buy the next issue. Like that's right. Yeah. I mean, I just I just had a lot of eyes on it, which was which is really good. I mean, it was not only the film, but it was also the character's 30th anniversary the month that it came out. And, you know, I mean, I was um, God, I was. 33 at the, at the time when I was writing it. And I mean, I was, I, I was, I was there when that book came out, you know, like when the, the first issue came out. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was great. And I, I had this, all this been thought, I mean, we, you had asked me earlier, had I looked at the book and seen like potential or anything like that. And really one of the greatest gifts of that book of that assignment is that even though the character is 30 years old, like relatively speaking to other characters at at Marvel or DC, that's a baby of a character. Mm -hmm. And, and there's so much left that was unexplored, you know, like you write a character like Batman or Superman and stuff, or hell, even Thor, which I'm, I'm writing right now, you know, um, it's, you really have to be on your toes to make sure that you're not doing something that someone else has already done and everything, you know? You just go to the DC universe and there's a little <laughs> kid like uh, Butters from South Park just being like, Morrison did it. Yeah, Morrison exactly. Did it. yeah, exactly. But with this character, like there was so much in my mind that was yet to be explored, not only with the symbiote side of things, but with Eddie, you know, like Eddie's personal. I mean, like we knew that Eddie's mom died in childbirth and we had seen Eddie's dad like in like maybe three appearances, you know, we had seen Annie, you know, um, but like there's just so much to do. There's so much to play with. And, um, and if you read our run, like we, 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 we very much tried to uh, do a one for one. So like the first arc was um, the it was called Rex and and it's about it's the introduction of the God of the symbiotes. <laughs> Um, and so it was a huge, like lore dump, you know, it was a huge, like everything you thought you knew was wrong. Um, you know, there is no planet of the symbiotes. What you thought was a planet was actually billions of symbiotes wrapped around as a prison around their God. Um, and that God's name is null and he's going to break out. He's coming for earth and all this shit. But then the second arc is there's no bad guys in it at all. It's called The Abyss, and it's just about Eddie. And it's about Eddie coming to terms with his own childhood and abuse and going and giving him that Uncle Ben, you know, um, catalyst to make him who he is. Um, and out of that, you get the kind of the, sec- the second part of the equation, which is his son. Um, in my Bible for the series, I... I had a kind of a a statement at the top of it, which was, you know, the Punisher was introduced as a Spider-Man bad guy, but no one thinks of him like that anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, uh, Wolverine was introduced as a Hulk bad guy, but no one thinks of him like that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was I was I I, I remain Mm -hmm. under the I mean, it is my uh, contention that Venom, though presented as a Spider-Man bad guy, can live outside of that book and can live without Spider-Man. And to do that, you needed to have a few things in place. First and foremost, he needed a corner of the Marvel universe that he can he can sit in. You know, Punisher very much has his corner. Ghost Rider has this like hell and damnation stuff. Well, what is the Venom corner of things? To me, it was a very natural fit that it be, 
you know, space demons and Cthulhu monsters, because that's, I mean, the, the idea behind the character to me is just so inherently scary. It's just what? sentient. What's, un- what's scary about a sentient <laughs> pitch Shadow black with from, teeth? The, from the void of space? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then what? You, so once you had that, and once you had you know, kind of building out his own rogues gallery for him, you know, well then what you needed then was something to fight. So you have something for him to fight, and now you needed the other part of that, which is something to fight for. And so with that is you need his version of his Mary Jane or his Aunt May, the person that his lowest lane, his person that he needs to come back home to, that he needs to make the world safe for. Or if you're Tard McFarlane, someone to wear a sexy nightie. Yeah, and cry. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, And so I thought, you know, the other big part of like my my dive into to the um, the mental state of this person named Eddie Brock is this is this idea that every single human being who has ever worn a symbiote there's the moment where they where it's on them and they are terrified. Mm-hmm. We've seen that scene happen a thousand times that they're terrified of this alien thing being on them, right? Um, except for one person, Eddie. <laughs> Eddie went into a church to put a gun in his mouth and kill himself. And then liquid black like evil fell out of the sky out of a church and bonded with him. And as soon as it did, he was like, fuck yeah, let's roll. <laughs> like it didn't bother him at all. So, so I was like, who is that person? Who, how are you? Why are you like that? And so the idea of him being uh, like the, the biggest thing that Eddie fears in life is being alone. And when he's alone, he's a danger to himself and he he's mean to himself. And so he, um, you know, he's a compulsive um, uh, monogamist, you know, like he has to be around people. Otherwise, he'll he'll hurt himself. Um, And so being with the symbiote is he'll take all the abuse. He'll take how it's ruined his life. He'll take all these things because at the end of the day, it's all that he has. Right. And so how do you start to fix that fundamentally toxic codependent relationship? Well, it's to give Eddie something else to love that is more tangible, that can love him back in the way that 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 is healthy. And then for the symbiote to learn that that that's also okay, Mm. You know, it's it's okay for Eddie to to have things outside of it. It's okay for them to have some things. Right. Exactly. 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 I mean, you can't be you know, you can't be um, you you can't be 50 percent and 50 percent and be 100 percent together. You you have to be 100 percent and you have to be 100 percent and together you're 100 percent. That's how a mature, healthy relationship is supposed to work. It's it's always uh, one of the things you did in your books that I found, but it's just a subtle thing that always made me go like, ah, so good, is uh, when they are flowing together, when their relationship is the strongest, the caption balloons are gray mm-hmm. because right. they're actually like as one. Yeah. Whereas during, when they're arguing amongst each other, black the symbiote's in black and white. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's something that you see as they get farther apart too. I mean, like when they when they get farther apart, those things start to break. Um, and also, Eddie will stop. Eddie will also stop thinking and communicating. Meaning that, mm-hmm. like his, so when they're in tune, 
he'll talk through captions, which is like his thoughts, right? But, but when they're not in a good place, he speaks out loud. So his captions don't live next to the symbiote's ca- caption. So they're, they seem like they're far away. Like the symbiote is trying to get to him and he's not allowed. He's putting that wall up, you know? Um, and so throughout the entire run, you know, it, it, it was this evolution of, of all three characters, you know, of, of his son and of Eddie becoming a father and being a man and being a good person and believing that he can be a good person, you know, and believing that he can be a hero and believing and, 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 you know, proving to everyone else in the Marvel universe that he's a good guy and that he can do this. And, you know, you see that, you know, my avatar of, 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 of worthiness and like, and like, um, morals and things in the in the Marvel universe is Cap. And so I I routinely had Cap come in and shake his hand and say like that like thank you Eddie. And like to me that is a tacit agreement from the entire Marvel universe that if Cap shakes your hand and says that you're good, that means that you're good. And the hammer said and he the hammer vouched for him. So like if the, the hammer, hammer says you're that. cool. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. It's fine. The hammer says he's cool guys. <laughs> guys the hammer said he's cool so he's cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's an amazing run. It's available any place you can get your comic books involved. It is collected, I assume, in multiple ways. Yeah, Uh, it's honest to God. That's that uh, statement of purpose of taking these characters like Wolverine, like Punisher and breaking them from their villainous roots. I didn't think it was possible. And doing research. I I, I literally talked to you uh, when I approached and I was like, so how did you how did you do this? Because I by that when I wrote you, I was still that like twelve year old <laughs> that was like thinking about sweaty hamburger Eddie Brock, right? Weightlifting in a dank room, just like yeah. s- talking about slitting throats and snapping necks. And by the end of uh, what I was reading, I was like, "This is a character. This yeah. is a character with their own vibe, well, with their own story, with their own journey, and it's amazing." Well, thank you, man. That's 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 awesome. Thank you so much. Now let's talk about weird Israeli movie producers. Here we go, um, <laughs> guys. There's a movie. There's going to be a second one. Uh, maybe by the time this re- releases, I don't know. But um, how did Venom become a box office smash? How did he become? If you had told me back in 2017, the Venom movie that's going to be made outside of the Disney MCU deal is going to be one of the top performing superhero movies of the year, I'd be like, you're crazy. This is nonsense. This is impossible. Did you not see uh, other movies that were done from similar people? No way. The experience of sitting and watching the 2018 Venom movie in the theater was rapturous people were exploding in the aisles people were having a gigantic blast and it was kind of a throwback in a lot of ways i i believe i tweeted you know at the time venom 2018 is the best superhero movie of 2006 like it really (laughs) was from an era before the formula that uh favreau and the rest of the marvel brain trust kind of uh cemented um and i think the key figure in all of this is a man named Avi Arad. Now, Avi Arad is a Israeli-American businessman, and uh, he has produced tons and tons of Marvel-based media. Basically, everything that hasn't been touched by the MCU, good or bad. I'm talking Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 we'll get into a second. Uh, <laughs> you know, stuff but stuff like Elektra, stuff like Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, right. but also stuff like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Like, He's a very complicated uh, uh, track record, 
But his connection with Marvel started when him and Isaac Perlmutter were the owners of Toy Biz. And Toy Biz were the action figure company of the 1990s. And they uh, basically acquired Marvel after its 1996 bankruptcy. And so Arad was involved in toy sales and animation production in the 90s. And that means he knew more so than anybody else in the room just how much Kids fucking loved Venom. Hell yeah. Every talking action figure, every little, I want to eat your brain. Um, actually, uh, can we get the sound clip from that commercial? Because that is burned into my memory of Venom's talking figure uh, talking about wanting to eat brains. I want to eat your brain. You know, that was voiced by. Wait, uh, in the cartoon or in the original action figure? I think both. What? Hank Azaria. Oh, yes. Hank Azaria very much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he was also producer on that Spider-Man animated series in the 90s and saw the jump in ratings when Venom yeah. was introduced. Yeah. Hank Azaria does a very good job. You can find those original cartoons. They're very choice. It's awesome. It's also that version of the character where he's from space and not from Secret Wars and right. the black costume gets on Spider-Man first and like it makes him more aggressive and it kind of gives uh, more backstory to a, a weird non- battle world version of that origin that then gets reused in Spider-Man 3 to a great degree. But when it's time to cr- uh, produce the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, Arad is constantly pushing for Venom. Just constantly pushing for Venom because he knows that's the moneymaker character. That's the character selling comics. That's the character selling toys. But Raimi's movies, and t- honestly, I love them for it, are a callback to his version of Spider-Man. Yeah. And that's a very much more Yancey Street, Stan Lee style. So we get more characters like Green Goblin, and I think he wanted the Vulture in there. And in Spider-Man 3, the focus is on Sandman, of all people. And through enough badgering, Arad, who is an executive producer on the film, was like, you have to put Venom in this movie. And the results are uh, very memefied. <laughs> <laughs> They're flawless. That's, uh, you know, the, we got emo hair. We got weird dancing. We got Topher Grace, weird teeth magic. Uh, even the, but like uh, Arad realizes that maybe he made a mistake. He, I believe, formally apologizes to uh, Raimi. This is in an interview. Uh, Arad says, we learned that Venom is not a sideshow. In all fairness, I'll take the guilt on that because of what Sam Raimi used to say in all of those interviews about me pressuring him. Hmm. But the idea is not lost on him. He still wants that Venom dollar. And so there are tons of attempts to make this movie happen even after Spider-Man 3. Throughout the 2000s, there's multiple scripts and rewrites. Uh, Some were hoping to revive uh, the original franchise. Uh, In 2014, Sony Pictures had the famous uh, leak Uh, which many people blame on North Korea of all places. It's a very convoluted thing, (laughs) but tons and tons of very rich showbiz decision makers had their emails leaked. And um, Arad sends out things being like, we have to make a Venom movie. And to prove his point, he uh, scanned Toys R Us circulars and showed that the Disney Infinity toy line was leading with Venom as one of the characters they were releasing. And there was like front and center Venom is what's going to sell these toys. And if even Disney knows that Venom is an asset and we have the rights to these characters by way of Sony's convoluted rights management with in relation to Marvel, we got to get this done. 
2014 is also when Arad, Amy Pascal, and several other Sony executives were eager to mirror Sp- uh, Spider-Man uh, as a cinematic universe. This is when Amazing Spider-Man 2 kind of tried to do that sinister six, like, oh, we're right. definitely going to yeah, make yeah. a whole universe out of this. And as part of that, Venom was definitely supposed to be in there. Uh, Arad was very uh, adamant in emails talking about how uh, a Spider-Man thing, uh, you know, this is our way to get a good PG-13 rated movie, which means more money, which means more teenagers. Um, he gets Alex Kurtzman to uh, get become part of a brain trust to direct a potential movie. Uh, unfortunately, Kurtzman bails in order to uh, direct the Mummy revival as part of the Dark Universe series of films. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. Unfortunately. But still, Arad doesn't give up. And finally, he's like, you know what? We don't even need a franchise. We don't even need Spider-Man. I tell you, Venom is this fucking compelling. We're going to do it without Spider-Man. And they bring in, uh, brings in Ruben Fleischer, who had uh, success with uh, Zombieland. Uh, Tom Hardy is then put on board. He gives the classic, my kid was a fan and insisted I do it. Right. Uh, excuse. And we, you know what? I don't doubt it. The movie is very weird. I, there's a lot, of, again, like I said, a lot of mistakes that like, uh, you fe- I feel like movies don't make anymore. The villain being Riot of all people. Yeah. Uh, of all villains. And so you just have dark gray goop man fighting black goop man. <laughs> I thought that Tom Hardy, I mean, I, you know, obviously the, 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 the Eddie Brock that he's portraying is not like, um, is not the one that I wrote. It's like, not like the kind of the same flavors, but I wrote. He's but like is. a weird, he's like a, he's like a kind of internet journalist right. that also apparently gets softball cable interviews. So very, it's a very, um, uh, out there kind of performance and he said in an interview and once you hear this you'll never be able to not see it he said that he based his Eddie Brock on Woody Allen and Connor McGregor amazing and once you see it you're like oh yeah that is exactly what you're you're doing you're doing an, a weird nerdy MMA fighter okay he right. I think that cool. is it is honest to God Hardy's movie uh that really just is so compelling. Uh, Fleischer uh, said that he let Hardy improvise a ton on set. Uh, the lobster tank sequence was apparently uh, improvised and like re uh, choreographed once Tom Hardy was like, I think I should get into that lobster tank. And they're like, <laughs> uh, shit, call the prop department. Let's reinforce that lobster right. tank. I think it's great, man. I honestly, I, I wouldn't. So I, w- I was hesitant to go and see it for a while just because I was, you know, I was like in the middle of writing that run and I, I, I lived with that character every day of my life, you know, and I was just like, man, I don't know if I can do this. And then and I went and saw it and went, and what you said is totally right. Like people in the audience were just going bananas and it was so cool. I, I looked around and I was like, dude, like how amazing, like, is this real? Is there really a Venom movie that I'm at right now that people are this excited about? Like, how rad is that? The visual effects were done by, or at least supervised by Paul Frank, who did stuff or, uh, inter- he did, he's basically worked with Christopher Nolan. He did Inception, Interstellar, wow. The Dark Knight. Uh, he's an Oscar winner, uh, Harry Potter. Whoa. Like, the guy is an, he's an incredible get, and the Venom effects are so well executed. They are. The fact that they managed to get the design, like they got that like weird 
eyeball shape, those crazy jagged eyeballs. And they worked on screen. Uh, The way the character moves with this combination of bulk and grace and like bursts of violence, like incredibly believably well. Uh, The way the character will detach and talk to him and the just even the micro expressions of the Venom character are so endearing. And the way the audience would just burst out laughing whenever he was like, he's got shit you haven't even seen, my dude. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It, like he might, Venom might as well have been like, talk to the hand girlfriend. <laughs> like he was, he was so sassy and they ate it up and I, it infected me. I was like, I am having so much fun at this thing. My favorite character in the entire thing. And, and there's a, and there's a, he's in the trailer for the, for the uh, sequel too, is Anne's new guy, Dan. <laughs> Dan might be the most tolerant human being in the world <laughs> because like he he'll like pull up to like drop Anne off uh, after a date and her ex-boyfriend is standing in front of her house and mm-hmm. he'll like he just like rolls down the, the, the window is like hey you okay <laughs> all right well I'll let you guys talk and I was like no Dan no Dan don't do that no Dan don't leave her there you know and then like in the sequel I guess I've seen the trailer like Anne and Anne and Dan are getting married and Eddie reaches into the car and punches Dan in the mouth and walks <laughs> off and Dan just looks at Anne and goes you guys need counseling and just backs it up and backs out I'm saying Dan stand up for yourself you're being <laughs> this guy's a lunatic well I mean again because uh, Venom is a or at least I'm sorry in this version of Eddie Brock is still kind of a bro um, a nerdy bro, a kind of yeah. an unprofitable bro. <laughs> what is the bro's greatest nemesis? Not that your ex-girlfriend is hooked up with some jock. It's that you hooked up with some nerd, <laughs> some passive uh, gamma male, or I don't know. I don't know the, I don't Me know the neither. phrasing these days anymore, but um, that's so funny. The, uh, but again, it's still, uh, it's still a, tw- it's still a swerve from the underdog or like the snappy, like quippy right. billionaire. It's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's a wholly original vibe for a yeah. superhero movie. It totally is. Yeah. The sequel, let there be carnage, uh, is due out, uh, assuming it's not going to get delayed again because of Delta variant stuff. Uh, it is now due to release in October 15th, 2021. Uh, Ruben Fleischer is out now. Andy Circus is going to direct, which That's I think right. is going to be, um, honestly, one of my big concerns with this sequel is that once again, we're going to have two goo monsters fighting. But the idea of that, if there is anybody I would trust to give physicality and like consideration totally. to two uh, CGI characters engaging with each other, it would be Andy Serkis. Totally. So I think that's actually kind of a weird guess. And Woody Harrelson, man. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, Woody Harrelson's awesome. Uh, it's the, I mean, Make fun of the the red wig all you want. You know they had to film that under under secrecy for the mid credits uh, reveal. Uh, they I, look you know, like they they look like they've for more. You know it seems like they've worked out their wig situation. The wig situation is de- say I don't know what I don't know anything about this movie, but I know Andy Serkis is directing and he's good at CG creature physicality. Right. And that they fixed Woody Harrelson's wig. <laughs> That's all I need. That's honest. That's worth a ticket. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. th- it might be the first movie I go to the theaters to see since uh, the 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 times since the times we live in. No, I'll be there. I mean, I, you know, it sucks because last the last film I was invited to the premiere with uh, Ryan and everything, and we couldn't go because we were um, going to a Marvel summit 
um, to plan out absolute carnage for events. <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't go. And this time um, the, I got an invite, but there's not going to be like a premiere premiere, mm. you know, because the whole world sucks. I mean, you can just show up at uh, Grauman's and just yeah. be like, it's me. It's me. The guy who didn't write this particular story. Yeah. Well, speaking of, you know, that, I mean, I got a and, and for anyone at home. Um, please don't take this as anything other than me just being uh, an excited fan because I don't know anything about anything that happens in these films. I'm not on the inside track on this. But I'm really hoping that, you know, we've we've sat here and we've run down all of the big stories about Eddie Brock and all these things, and right? And so, like, the first film was a lot of, like, lethal protector stuff and, like, it hit mm-hmm. a lot of those, like, early, like, life-foundation stuff, right? And then the second one is going to be all, like, carnage and all this kind of stuff, right? Well, after those... Like you're kind of running out of like the big Eddie stuff. Mm-hmm. So if there's a if there's a third one, I'm just uh, just putting it out into the world. Oh no, Noel wait! I'm sorry. I just I just went good. on to uh, Geek It Now News, a very real website, <laughs> and it says uh, Venom Three already approved. Uh, Mace, it's going to be Mace. They're bringing oh, back shit. Mace. Oh, uh, it's, uh, no, I think it's Pyre. I think it's Pyre from. Fero it's Pyre. Uh, it's it's called uh, Mace in the Pyre: Colon a Venom. <laughs> trilogy concluded a venom joint. that's amazing yeah <laughs> yeah now if i can see you know eddie on screen fighting noel with, with a huge you know um um double-sided axe made out of the venom symbol uh i will die a happy man uh, but i it's probably not gonna happen but that'd be rad <laughs> i mean it'll be cool when uh he loses he knocks the axe out of his uh noel knocks the axe out of his hand and it's like, foolish uh, child, I am no darkness void. You get it, I'm no. <laughs> uh, and drops him into a pit. But what's at the bottom of the pit? Cool toxic waste. And he gets a million heads and then he Hell wins. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that happens. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me even a little bit. Uh, Donnie, this has been an insanely uh, insightful conversation. I hope you had fun. I hope I didn't embarrass myself too much. No, I hope I didn't bore everybody. This has been awesome. I I, I love this stuff, man. I could talk about this for, for hours. I hope your audience is uh, tolerant enough to allow me to sit in the seat. I appreciate it. I, I It almost feels dumb to do plugs. It almost feels <laughs> just go to the comic book store. I'm writing, I, I'm writing Thor. Um, I'll be writing The Hulk um, uh, at the end of November. Um, I have a sub stack that you can, um, that you can, uh, subscribe to, um, I'm doing a book with Ryan Stegman of Venom, uh, you know, uh, fame and, uh, follow me on Twitter at Don Cates, D-O-N-C-A-T-E-S. You know, guys, I've said it before. I've said it a million times. If you want to support the show, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, is the best way to do it. You get a weekly bonus uh, episode where we talk about what we've been playing, what we've been watching, um, or we talk about events of the day, or we'd have our Year That Was series where we go year by year and go over the hit movies, songs, TV shows, and games that defined entire generations. Uh, Again, every little bit helps. uh, And for uh, there's other tiers too. There's the Sunday study group tier where every week we stream uh, topics that we're going to be tackling in future episodes. And you can kind of, it's kind of a kind of a two-way conversation where we figure out what the shape of the episode is going to be, and it's an incredibly chill hang uh, that every single time I leave that that stream uh, more positively imbued and excited for the episodes to come. Uh, also, if you go to YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Puppet Jared, I'm a VTuber now. I'm, it's, go to our VTuber episode and you'll know what that means. 
Um, and uh, before and to, to take us out, uh, let's get a little bit of uh, Eminem's Venom from the soundtrack. Oh, Again, cementing uh, its 2000s nature, because why wouldn't your superhero movie end with a popular rap artist explaining the concept of the movie you just watched? <laughs> a la MC Hammer, LL Cool J, of course, of course. Uh, and until next time, always remember, uh, hey, 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 Donnie, help, help me out here. Uh, uh, keep on whizzing. Keep on bruising. Yes, yes. <laughs> It tells you you're in the wrong field when something's in your mitochondrial because it lasts This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.